it's really hard when it's really hard, but when everything goes well, it's like so rewarding. And when you like can plan out a week and you've maybe really challenged yourself, but you finish it and like the sense of accomplishment, it's really definitely very rewarding. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Running a small team in a restaurant can bring out the creative flair and passion you have about food. But how do you translate that over multiple, very different venues and inspire, develop, and nurture the team to carry the vision? Marjorie Meek Bradley is the corporate executive chef for Star Restaurant Group that includes Pastis and Upland in New York. Marjorie, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. It's good to get you on the show. You are very busy. How, how many restaurants and people are you looking after at the moment? Oh, my gosh. I don't even want to count. It's <laughs> 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 a great question. It changes daily. Um, you know, here in New York City, we have eight restaurants. Um, there are two corporate chefs here in New York, and we kind of divide that up a little bit. But aside from that, we also have restaurants in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. And we are soon to open Pastis Miami in about three months. So I'm helping with that development as well. So definitely a lot of restaurants, a lot of people. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Fascinated to hear about Pastis in, in Miami. Will that be a different version to what many of us around the globe know and love about the New York version? Um, you know, that's that's funny you ask that. We actually had an exciting meeting today a little bit, um, kind of diving into some of that. But it's definitely, you know, I'm not going to say it's copy and paste because they're two very different places. We definitely have a little bit of, you know, kind of an idea in our head of bringing a little bit more of kind of the Marseille and Provence um, regional cuisines to Pastis Miami. Um, but, you know, definitely the heart and soul is exactly what everyone knows and loves about New York version we will be bringing down there. Your role is quite diverse and fascinating with such different restaurant offerings. Um, What's it like energizing different teams and different offerings and and managing yourself to get the best out of it for you and for everyone? Um, I think that's definitely kind of the most challenging part of the job, not just really the The different kinds of food keeps it interesting and the different, you know, areas and getting to work with different people every day is definitely, you know, fun and exciting. But what's challenging is really feeling like you're giving everyone everything that they need, because at the end of the day, you can really only be in one place at once. And there's only so much support you can give to each person if you're trying to give that support to, you know, eight different restaurants, 10 different teams, whatever it might be. I want to explore what you're doing with the the Star Restaurant group shortly, but um, you've had an incredible career. But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Um, I mean, for me, it was definitely kind of, I felt that food was really what we, you know, A, it brought us all together, but B, it was really a way of like showing people that you cared about them. Um, My parents started a soup kitchen the year that I was born and, you know, ran the soup kitchen and kind of, yeah, and it was really where I grew up. But, you know, they were, I mean, it was the early 80s in California. My mom had, you know, gone to Berkeley. I would say they were really working on, you know, social justice causes and saw a need in our community. And, um, 
you know, provided that, um, you know, area. And the, sh the um, soup kitchen is actually still open. So really, you know, growing up, the first kitchen I really remember being in that was not a professional kitchen, but a large kitchen cooking for 200 people a day was a soup kitchen. And, you know, it's a pretty different environment than some of the other kitchens. But, uh, you know, it really taught me a lot about not just, you know, utilizing anything and everything that you could. I was a little too young to pick up on that, but it was just learning that food is a way to, a way to care for people. Soup kitchens are such an important part of communities. Do you remember any of the, the food or the, the dishes that were created there for the community? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, of course, I kind of remember riding around with my dad in the van and like collecting donations from different grocery stores. And, you know, some of those were simple things like yogurt and different things that were about to expire that we would kind of hand out and make sack lunches with for people to take, but also, you know, a lot of produce. And so I feel like we would make a lot of soups there and just different things to kind of take something that was maybe a little past its prime, but still, you know, good and full of nutrients and just what you could do with that to kind of get the most out of it. Tell us about the first steps into the industry and, and working in a commercial kitchen and, and learning your craft. How did it all start? Well, I was an exchange student in high school. Um, I went to um, Sweden to live for a year. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, it was when I was a junior in high school. And I, you know, from there um, came back and was a senior in high school, didn't really have the prerequisites for a traditional college, was kind of looking at what opportunities I might have. And I kind of stumbled upon culinary school. Um, I didn't really think of it as a path until I came across that school. It was like a liquid on blue program or something like that. Um, but it made me think, you know, I love cooking. I love being in the kitchen. I love food. Maybe I want to be a chef. And this was really kind of just when the Food Network was beginning to air. And like, there wasn't really so much of like a celebrity chef at that time yet. And so it was really, I think I'm lucky I got into it when it was still a little bit more just, um, it was just beginning in that, that world of things. Um, and so I decided to go to culinary school. What, what was that like? Given the experience you had with your parents' soup kitchen, was it, was it, was it different? Um, yeah. I mean, I was 18 years old. I moved to Philadelphia. I found a culinary school as far away from California as I could find because <laughs> I just wanted something new. And um, it was definitely a little bit of kind of a shock. You know, I went from a very kind of humble, um, you know, use of ingredients and food and being raised with a lot of, um, you know, things like we would use ground turkey and brown rice and my mom would, was very health conscious. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm cooking with like all these different ingredients. I remember calling my mom one day and I'm like, mom, did you know that butter's really good? <laughs> <laughs> Because we didn't have, like, we really didn't use much butter. <laughs> so it was definitely a, an introduction to a new style of cooking, for sure. Well, early on in your career, what were the really important venues and people that helped you carve a path as a chef? You know, I'm very, very fortunate to have worked with um, 
quite a few really amazing chefs and mentors. Um, you know, early on, I actually, my first job out of culinary school was working at a star restaurant in Philadelphia um, called Washington Square. And, you know, when I worked there, it was a really incredible team. Marcus Samuelson was the opening chef. He brought a team of chefs from New York City. So that kind of introduced me to that aspect. You know, I'd never even been to New York, no less like seen much of the food scene there. And I was given the opportunity to come and stage at Aquavit multiple times and, you know, learn a little bit about New York. Um, you know, I finished th about a year there and I moved back to California, not really knowing exactly what direction I wanted to go, but um, I thought maybe I would go back to school. I wasn't really sure. And I ended up realizing that I only lived two hours away from Yachtville and I wanted to go see if I could get a job at the French Laundry. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always, you know, I shoot high. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I was 22 years old. I did not actually, no, I'm sorry, I wasn't even 22. I was 20 years old. And I went to the French Laundry with my resume in hand, and uh, they definitely, you know, didn't hire me. Um, but I went and had lunch at Bouchon afterwards, and I had another copy of my resume. And I was like, well, if I can't get a job at the French Laundry, maybe they'll hire me here. So I met, you know, I asked if I could meet the chef, and he came out, and I gave him my resume. And he just kind of looked at me like I was a little crazy and was like, yeah, sure, we'll call you. And I was like, okay, well, if I could come trail tomorrow, that would be great, because I'm only in town today and tomorrow. And he, like, looked at me again, and he's like, do you have kitchen shoes? I was like, I do. I also have knives. <laughs> and uh, so he's like, okay, fine, be here at 11. And, you know, I showed up the next day and I worked garmage, the full service with, um, you know, another person on that station. And it was a very busy day. It went very well. And, you know, at the end of it, the chef, a different chef, the chef de cuisine offered me a job. And so I moved to Yachtville and I worked at Bouchon for just under two years. And that just, you know, the mentorship of not only, you know, um, Thomas Keller, but like all the people he had mentored, um, you know, our chef de cuisine there and the sous chefs, and they um, gave me the opportunity to, well, I moved to New York and I was given the opportunity to um, work at Per Se from there. And, you know, working for Jonathan Benno was really just kind of, I think, a turning point in my career that I don't even know I knew it then, but I have pulled on what I learned from him and his style of leadership and his, you know, he is just relentless in the best way possible. And he never compromises his integrity of the food, the way he treats people, just he is such a strong leader. And I really learned a lot from him, not just about cooking, but really how do you lead a team and how do you help chefs develop who they are and their style of cooking? So I would say he definitely had kind of the largest impact on my career as a chef. 
You've uh, been an important part of Washington, D.C.'s culinary evolution. Uh, tell us about your time there and, and how different that is to, to um, your experiences in New York. You know, Washington, D.C. will always be, like, definitely super special to me. Um, you know, I moved there when I was 24. I moved to be a sous chef at Jose Andres' Jose Andres's restaurant, Zatinia. Um, and that just alone was a huge opportunity to open my eyes to a different kind of cooking. You know, I had worked in predominantly French restaurants for the past few years and, you know, where the French is a lot of, you know, like clean, bright flavors, you know, Greek, Lebanese, Turkish food is a lot of like still very bright and clean flavors, but with a lot more depth, a lot more acid, a lot more just kind of different style of cooking. And um, I loved that, you know, it really just excited me. And also it was a huge restaurant, you know, we did volume there and I had never really done that before. Um, and, you know, that kind of just opened me up to also this community of chefs who were so supportive of each other. And we would do all these events, you know, there's a lot of fundraisers in D.C. And we'd go and we'd cook one dish for a thousand people and we'd meet all these other chefs. And everyone was just so very supportive there. You, your background is um, deeply rooted in fine dining, but as you mentioned, the experiences in Washington, D.C. Um, changed tact a little bit. But you also moved into a very fast casual concept sort of um, a few years ago now with Smoked and Stacked. How did that come about? Um, yeah, you know, I. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but I competed on Top Chef in 2015 and... Um, one of the challenges was to create a fast casual and it was kind of really that big boom of fast casual is kind of this new style of restaurant and um, it just oh, sorry excuse me <laughs> it, you know um, yeah so fast casuals were definitely kind of like really picking up a little bit we competed in this challenge um, I didn't win, but I was like in the, you know, final two for it. I guess I was like the runner up of that challenge. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is a good idea. I'm going to open something. I'll open one and then I'll open a hundred. And, you know, the guys who created Sweet Green were in DC. So I thought, yeah, this is a great idea. Um, <laughs> what I didn't realize was when opening a fast casual, you really shouldn't do it from, you know, a restaurant chef uh, standpoint, necessarily. <laughs> I was making the bread from scratch. I was making the pastrami from scratch. And, you know, the model just didn't really quite work for what I was trying to build. Um, and it was an amazing experience. We, you know, got a great review from Tom Sietzma in the Washington Post. And it was really, really positive overall. But ultimately, it was just not a sound business. And so we ended up closing it two years later. And my two partners in it kind of reopened it more as a bar and like late night kind of sandwich and wings spot. So it was a really good experience. And I definitely wouldn't train it, trade it because it's actually what brought me to working with Star. Um, but I definitely learned what I didn't know yet there, <laughs> or learned what I still needed to learn. <laughs>
Earlier on, you mentioned that you worked with the Star Restaurant Group very, very early on in your career. Tell us about the connection that you made sort of later on and and the role that you find yourself in. Um, Well, you know, I did a, I was a part of an opening, so I definitely kind of saw that intensity um, in that and it stuck with me. Steven Starr is obviously hugely successful and known as, you know, not only just creating successful restaurants, but also really great food, Um, you know, where I saw him doing more themed kind of restaurants like Budokan or different things like that, you know, back in, or like in early you know, between 2016 and 2019, you know, he opened a restaurant with Justin Smiley. He opened Upland. He opened Le Cuckoo with um, Daniel Rose. And I saw him really focusing more on food and chefs than just like a restaurant that could seat 1,200 people on a Saturday night. And that excited me, um, you know, to work with the opportunity to work with somebody Um, so successful in both food and business because as I said I learned what I needed to learn at Smoked and Stacked and that was how to manage a business and how to run you know kind of the financial aspects of it and create success in that way Um, so you know I saw he was opening a new restaurant in Washington DC and I went on the website and I sent an application through the job portal (laughs) Um, with a little cover letter that was basically like, hi, I don't know if you have a chef yet, but if you don't, I'd be very interested. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I mean, you know, I think that kind of when I decide what I want or when I see something that excites me, I just do whatever I can to try to, uh, you know, go for it. What's what's this period of time been like? It's it's been very turbulent across the globe for everyone, but with multiple venues and in the role that you're in, what what's what's it been like for you? Um, it has been very challenging, but I would say for as challenging as it's been, it's also been extremely rewarding. Um, you know, something that I found early on in the pandemic, I would say not, you know, everything closed. It was like, it was terrifying, you know, everything we knew and everything I had done with my entire life and career, um, was really, sorry, um, was really just, uh, like it shut down overnight. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know if I had a future. Like, I don't know. I kind of went to a worst case scenario place. Um, And then, you know, we slowly started to, you know, okay, we're going to open for to go. We're going to open for outdoor dining, you know, and all these phases. And what I really learned was after kind of that shock of, oh, my God, what am I going to do with my life? To realizing that I was also, I mean, at Pastis, I laid off a hundred plus back of the house employees overnight and then slowly starting to bring those people back, bringing back 15 people, bringing back 30 people, bringing back 50 people. And every time I brought someone back, it was so important for me to make sure that I could create a stability for them that they, you know, because the reality is like I was terrified, but I don't have kids. I don't have, you know, a mortgage. I, you know, I, could have, you know, I'll figure it out. I didn't have people that relied on me. And, you know, I had a lot of mothers, fathers, um, immigrants, and people that worked for me that didn't have other options or opportunities. And so I just really, you know, for that first year and a half dug into, 
you know, protecting kind of the people and their ability to earn a living um, in whatever way I could. And sometimes that was, you know, doing as much as we could and to go and packages for holidays and indoor dining and outdoor and like almost killing ourselves with just trying to do as much as we could. But knowing that the alternative was, you know, not something I could face again, (laughs) Um, which would be not being able to keep people employed. Um, So I worked very hard at just trying to create as much stability for my teams um, in the restaurants that I oversaw that I could. Did the experience change your approach to hospitality and what you want to get out of it moving forward? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I think for me, it changed, you know, something flipped and I realized that I might not have responsibilities outside of work that felt, um, you know, like that pressure, but the responsibility I have to my teams to create a positive environment, a safe environment, a happy environment. Um, and like, not just in terms of, do you like coming to work and have a kitchen that like feels quote unquote, you know, safe. It's like, just like that, I don't know, just making sure people were excited to come where they were coming again and felt comfortable in it and proud of it and happy in it has been really important to me. And, you know, in back of the house, I care a lot and take a lot of pride in creating food that people want and being accommodating to guests. But like my focus is really more on, you know, being hospitable to the staff because I'm not guest facing. So... Tell us a little bit about the day-to-day of your role and, and sort of what's involved with, with so many venues and, and so many people. Um, well, it's ever-evolving, <laughs> but, you know, different restaurants have different needs at different times. Um, a large portion of my role is being a resource to the chefs, whether that is working on menu changes and helping them develop and refine dishes that they want to put on the menu or if that is helping them create new dishes because they are shorthanded themselves and don't have enough time to test recipes or, you know, train their sous chefs on how to do, you know, invoicing and different things because it's too hard for them to be able to like necessarily train everyone. Um, So a lot of support to the chefs in our group, as well as planning, mapping out, connecting, you know, getting, Uh, tasting on the calendar for Stephen of new dishes or working on a training calendar for our new executive chef in Miami. Um, You know, really just kind of that side of it as well. So it's kind of, and then, you know, the other kind of wild card is the restaurants that maybe don't have a chef in them right now that I'm filling in at and helping or expediting dinner service or whatever they might need. Pasis is loved the world over and a destination for food lovers when they come to New York. Tell, tell us a bit about it. What do you think so special about it? Uh, I mean, for me personally, I, you know, I was given the opportunity to be the executive chef of Pastis one month after it reopened. And I was so incredibly excited because I love bistros. Pastis is iconic. Keith McNally is iconic. And it was just such a unique opportunity. And for me, you know, there's a lot of those kinds of restaurants. But over time, I think the food fades, but they keep their luster because they're a cool place to be. But I think what really, you know, makes pasties still stand out in the way is, you know, I like to think at least, but I've also been told by many people that don't know me or aren't just trying to make me feel good that, you know, the food is excellent. And, you know, I look at French onion soup. It's my favorite thing to eat all winter long. 
and we are going to have the best French onion soup in New York City because we should. We're pasties and we're going to have an amazing steak sandwich. And no matter whether you get it at 11 o'clock on a Friday or, you know, 10.30 p.m. on a Wednesday, it's going to taste just as good. It doesn't matter who cooks it or what's going on. The food is very, very consistent there. New York is such a bustling city with so many varied dining options. What does it take to stand out from the crowd in New York? Um, I think at Pastis, for us, it is the ability to practice um, restraint and stay true to who we are. And, you know, something that I really learned at Bouchon was there's nowhere to hide in simple food. You know, it's either good or it's not. It's either craveable and comforting or it's boring. And so for what we do there, I think it's just really being authentic. Well, and overall for all of New York, it's being authentic to what you are and not trying to muddle it or overcomplicate it. Tell me a little bit about your cooking and your food with, you know, you're working with so many chefs and making sure different venues are delivering what they promise. But um, tell us a little bit about your favorite things to cook and your approach. Um, Well, I live one block from the Union Square Green Market. And for me, I just absolutely love cooking whatever is in season. I love going to the farmer's market and getting a bunch of vegetables and, you know, making roasted vegetables or a big salad or, you know, a tagine and just, you know, maybe picking up a chicken that day and doing a roast chicken. But really just simple food. Um, I love making pasta, like handmade pasta is definitely also very meditative for me. (laughs) What surprised you um, about, well, it surprised me that you sent an email to get the job in the first place, but what surprised you about this huge role that you have? (laughs) Well, um, you know, I mean, that was five years ago that I sent that email and that was definitely a different role, but I would say this role that I'm in now, um, you know, I think I knew what I was getting into, but I'm a little surprised by, you know, it's really hard when it's really hard, but when everything goes well, it's like so rewarding. And when you like can plan out a week and you've maybe really challenged yourself, but you finish it and like the sense of accomplishment, is really definitely very rewarding. Um, as well as just like working with so many different people. I love meeting new people, new chefs, new cooks, and seeing kind of what everyone has to bring to the table. Mentoring is so important in the hospitality sector to create uh, career paths for people. What, what is your approach in regards to mentoring to get the best out of your staff? You know, I think you really have to individualize it. I work to get to know people, even if it's just a day or two, understand them a little, try to understand what makes them or what they're passionate about. And then I try to kind of cater a plan to that person. Some people need guidance and, you know, help with something. Some people just need support. Someone to tell them, you know, don't worry, you are doing a good job. We can work on this side of things together, but you're doing this really well. And I think I really try to keep my style of teaching and mentorship is, you know, it's positive reinforcement based, um, We all want to get better, but nobody wants to feel like they're failing either. So just reminding people and working with people, all right, this is going really well. Now we're going to tackle this and just always tackling the next thing, but keeping it 
one thing at a time and always remembering what we've already succeeded in. Pastis is one of New York's great dining experience. What are some of your favorite New York food and dining experiences that you could share? Well, I absolutely love the Four Horsemen in Brooklyn. Um, it is a phenomenal restaurant. They have, you know, maybe 30 seats inside and another 20 outside. But very, very small restaurant, extraordinary food, just very, very simple, clean flavors, well executed, beautiful food. So huge fan of there. I also really love there's a restaurant called Anton's um, that is near Pastis. That's a favorite for after work, you know, a dozen oysters and a dirty martini. They have the best shocked oysters in the city. And then I can't help it. I'm a total steakhouse girl. I love old school steakhouses. And I think that Keen's is just such a classic and so delicious. Well, you're doing amazing things um, over there. What what do you love about what you do? Uh, I love, well, I love working with my hands. I love that I get to be interactive with food and people every day. I don't sit at a desk. And I really just love kind of I mean I love restaurants I love cooking I love meeting people and making people happy and helping people celebrate a birthday and all that kind of stuff well Marjorie it's an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today to give us a glimpse of what you do um please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon absolutely thank you so much this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.